Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic supporters you got. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you. You send me this video. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 29 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that the Semi-Pro Cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's laughing and what they're watching. Hey there, Semi-Pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. Now, let's get straight into an iTunes review. This is the business. Five stars by Semi-Pro Trainee. Most informative cycling podcast out there any semi-pro cyclist should check it out and really don't we all strive to be semi-pro ain't that the truth amen thank you semi-pro trainee for taking the time out to write that review if you like the show i would love if you head over to itunes and leave some love Thank you very much. Now, cycling news for this week. The Tour Down Under is all wrapped up. Well done to Tom Jeltslagter for the first win for himself and for Blanco. I imagine, just like Green Edge last year, Blanco were working their little butts off all through December so that they could attract attention from the very start of the year. Well, they've done the job, and now they're holding the top of the World Tour points for at least... A couple of months and hopefully they can now get some attention and start to draw in potential sponsors because I would hate for Blanco to disappear. My biggest disappointment of the Tour Down Under though was Schleck. I guess he is really out of shape. It's going to be a longer road than I thought. I know it's a long way away, but is he ready for the Tour? Will he be a contender come July? I know we go this week reneged well did he renege i said that anything is possible he's possibly going to go for the giro tour double we've got the other contenders like contador just going for the tour schleck come on man pick it up i want to see you there challenging on the climbs i like your post-race interviews but i dig how you race as well frank's fate will probably be known by the time you're listening to this so that will be a big decider as well But for me, the biggest news in cycling this week was the decision to disband the UCI's independent commission. I don't know how closely you're following this, but there is a good opinion piece on cycling news at the moment, and it's calling out all of the big players in this political shitstorm. I'll link to it in the show notes, but you can easily find it on cyclingnews.com. It's by Daniel Benson, and it's called Why No One Will Win Cycling's War of Words. I got one quote from the article, which I think sums up the position very well. I'm yet to make my mind up on it, but first to go was the credibility and then the sponsors, and now it's simply a matter of dignity and respect. I hope everyone gets their act together and the cycling bigwigs can pull their heads out of their ass. Anyway, Stages 1 Power Meter is ready to begin shipping next week. They have let the media into their headquarters in Boulder, Colorado, and I'm really looking forward to the reviews that start trickling out as everyone that is interested in them probably is, and I'm keen to hear about their accuracy and their ability to stand up to the elements because they come from an indoor training company. So let's see if they can get out there because they're one of the first ones to actually 
market towards a mountain bike market. So we'll see if they can handle the rigors of mountain bike riding. If you do get hold of one, let me know how you get on. I'm really interested in personal accounts of the power meter. In the nuts and bolts this week, I got on the phone with Hunter Allen, cycling coach, co-author of Training and Racing with the Power Meter, co-developer of Training Peaks, WKO Plus software, founder of Peaks Coaching Group, busy guy and all-around nice guy. Alan is well known for his contribution to the analysis of power data and applying that to training, but there is a lot more to Alan than just power though. He's got a really well-balanced approach to coaching an athlete as a whole, including the mind, the body, and external factors. He refers to coaching as the artful science, so I also wanted to dig a bit deeper on that topic as well. Hunter, welcome to the show, and thank you very much for being here. Well, thanks, Damien. I'm excited to be here. This is great. Today, I want to talk about some training ideas from training and racing with a power meter, and also talk about your approach to coaching athletes. The power meter itself has always provided the data, but it hasn't always been easy to make sense of it. And over your career, you've played a large part in creating meaningful analysis of that data and bringing it to the masses. I want to jump straight in with what I think is the most exciting things that you've contributed to the training field, and that is the power profile. Can you give a brief explanation of the idea behind that? Sure. You know, it was, it was, it's kind of interesting because the power profile really didn't start for the reasons that it's turned into. Um, Dr. Coggin and I worked together on making it just really <laughs> more of an ego thing on our own part, uh, personally, because we just wanted to see where we fit in the, uh, the ranking of all the power files that we had. And so early on, we got these power files from uh, some world champions in the, uh, in the sport in different disciplines. And then we made this power profile sheet and basically started then looking at it and saying, oh, well, here's where we fit in. And then we kind of expanded upon it and put in all of my clients and a bunch of the other coaches that worked for me at the time, all of their clients in there and see how they fit in and then built the uh, the power profile sheet. And it's been refined many times since then, but ultimately it was just a where do you fit kind of thing. What it turned into being is this ability to really clearly define your strengths and weaknesses in relationship to others, and that gives you your power profile. So for somebody who has uh, what we would call downward sloping to the right, so uh, when you look at the sheet, the first column is your peak five seconds, then it's your peak one minute, then it's your peak five minutes, then it's your 60-minute or FTP. So downward sloping to the right would mean that they would have a very good sprint, but not so good at their FTP, so it would down slope to the right. And so all of a sudden it says, oh, wow, well, you know, is this chart congruent with your goals? Is this chart congruent with what you uh, what, what your abilities are and how you win? And is there something here that we can improve? Can we change something about the chart? So to me, that's where um, the true um, usefulness comes in and the fact that, oh, wow, you know, you're a sprinter? Well, but, you know, you're trying to win a time trial. Okay, well, hmm, that's not very congruent. Okay, well, if that's the case, then we need to, you know, stop sprinting and stop doing your anaerobic capacity work and focus more on your FTP and get that dialed in because then you're going to, uh, you know, really improve your time trial. So it's become a really nice tool, uh, a compass, so to speak, to help guide us on the training path. 
It's funny you kind of mention picking out, and this is why it kind of appealed to me, but picking out the things that you're actually good at. And sometimes your thoughts of where you sit in cycling is a lot different to what your body actually should be because this happened to me years ago. I was picked up in a talent identification program. And other than probably the VO2 max test, this power profile gives you the pretty much the exact same output of that whole process, which 10, 15 years ago, it would have cost a lot of money and effort to get to that point. But I was initially identified more as a climber and then I was retested probably three or four years after that and sprinting was where I actually showed up in the test. So that's such a massive difference between the two elements of cycling that I had no idea and that's kind of the mindset shift behind that, the confidence that having a profile there gives you when you're going into a race or training and shifting, I I think that's a really amazing outcome of, of actually putting together your own power profile. That's awesome. That is really cool. And that's super exciting to hear. And I mean, I've heard that story, you know, a hundred times because, and that's been the great thing with it is learning. And, you know, the other thing too, Damien, is that it changes. So, so maybe, you know, you were climber and then it moved into, you know, more of your true strengths and weaknesses, which is more of a sprinter or something like that. And the classic one is the guy who uh, goes out with his buddies and, and their group ride all the time and then finds out that, uh, you know, he wins all of the town line sprints and, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I'm a really great sprinter, I'm a really great sprinter. And then at the same time, it's like, you know, gosh, he goes and does his power profile and find out, oh, well, all my buddies are really bad sprinters. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, comparing yourself to other people. If it's not like the list you put together of the couch potato and the world champ, then that can give you the wrong idea as well. The fatigue profile is the other side of the power profile. And the way I see that is that's kind of then once you have a picture of what area, then you're honing in a little bit further. Can you help explain that one a bit further? Sure. So that was um, a result of one of my uh, coaches talking to me and working with me about it and thinking about it because he had some athletes and, and I've had some athletes that, well, they didn't actually show up on the the power profile and sprinting as great sprinters so their peak five seconds wasn't that great like they would show up as kind of decent category three riders if you categorize them here in the category system in the united states you know good sprinters but not very good or anything above it however their results were very good in the sprint. Like, I mean, they would absolutely crush people and win all their races in the final sprint. And so it started me to think about, well, how come these guys are winning these sprints, but they're not showing up as good sprinters? And so then that kind of got me thinking about the different types of sprinters in uh, the Tour de France, you know, because we watch those guys on the TV all the time. And, and I grew up in my cycling is, is all in the late 80s and mid 90s when I was racing. So some of my heroes are Eric Zobel from Telecom when he raced there and, you know, Robbie McEwen and when he was racing. And, and those guys were incredibly different sprinters, but highly, highly successful. So take a McEwen, for example. You know, McEwen is and was amazing where you would never even see the guy until 100 meters to go. Yep. And all of a sudden he'd pop out of nowhere, you know, and you're just like, where'd he come from? And then boom, you know, he would sprint and win the stage. Now, very, very different from Eric Zobel, where you'd see Zobel go from three, four hundred meters out, and he would kind of take off, and all these other guys would kind of sprint around him, and then at 150 meters to go, they would all kind of start to fall away, and he'd just start to diesel past them all, and he'd win the stage. So that started 
to start thinking about, well, this is fatigue resistance. McEwen, when you plot his chart and when you plot his peak numbers, so his peak five seconds is really high, really, really high. But then he drops off like crazy at 10 seconds. And then at 20 seconds, he's not really much better than a Category 4 sprinter at 20 seconds. So his fatigue resistance is very poor. Okay, yeah. so it doesn't mean that his you know his high explosivity, his explosiveness is very great, is very high, but his fatigue resistance is very poor. Versus Eric Zabel, who didn't you know he's got decent explosiveness. Okay, so he can certainly jump away from people, but nothing compared to McEwen. But his fatigue resistance was very high. So you know, gosh, you know Zabel would crack out sixteen hundred watts or fifteen hundred watts in his initial jump. But at 20 seconds, he's still doing 1,200 watts, where McEwen now is down there doing 800 watts. So that's really where it came into play. And so then that started me thinking about all of the other different levels, one-minute anaerobic and five-minute and FTP, and the same thing happens. You know, Our fatigue resistance within these energy systems is different for different people. The result of that, you know, the, how we use it, it's where power profile, we use it to define our growth strengths and weaknesses and where we want to train to improve those things. We use the fatigue profile as a way to actually define our tactics in the race itself. So this becomes a great way to say, oh, well, how am I, how am I going to win this race, right? So if you have incredible fatigue resistance at five minutes at VO2 max, so your three-minute number, your five-minute number, and your eight-minute number are very similar, and you barely fatigue there, well, gosh, you know, you might be really, really well off to go in a breakaway. You might be best to go away from the breakaway and attack them with about three miles to go or four miles to go or, or you know, five, eight kilometers to go because you can hold a tremendous number all the way out to eight minutes and nobody's going to catch you. You just won't fatigue. Or you're in a breakaway and you're the Robin McEwen, you want to do everything possible to make the sprint very short and come from a slow speed. So you define your tactics coming into the finish based on your fatigue profile. That's really uncovering a mystery probably for a lot of riders. It's interesting when you first start coming into cycling and you see the different ways people do win races and you kind of think, how do they approach this? Is it just by luck that they're going at a kilometer to go, or like you say, you know, someone popping out at 100 meters to go and, and winning, but actually having a, a way to, to figure out the best way for you to race is such an amazing way to go into every race with a plan. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. So moving into this idea of optimal training, and I see this is probably the benefit, the largest benefit for training with power, especially for people like semi-pros or executive athletes, the people that don't have all the time in the world to train. The idea of optimal intervals and hill repeats or, or any type of workout like that, which really enables someone to say with confidence that they've maxed out their system for the day and that the training worked to the end of their ability on that any given day is incredibly reassuring, both from an athlete and a coaching perspective. So, can this idea be applied to an entire training program? You know, for example, optimizing the time needed to train per week. Well, and, and I mean, I think that's, to me, one of the things that absolutely uh, a power meter is designed to do, 
Okay. One of the things that, uh, you know, back in, you know, it's gosh, it's been 10 years now or 11 years, 2002, 2001 or 12 years when I started to get a power meter myself and started developing this piece of software with uh, Kevin Williams, um, one of my athletes at the time, who's a programmer. And, uh, you know, and, and I came from, from being a pro cyclist and didn't have a power meter, but, you know, have a very scientific mind and wanted to know the reasons why and the different correlations between the foods that I ate and all these things. And at that time, and really in, uh, you know, largely even up until the last three or four years, we hadn't had the tools to say, what is your optimal training load? We kind of had a, an idea, but it really was still was just this trial of uh, trial and error. And, uh, well, you just train as hard as you can until you crack, and then you find out what it is, right? Yeah. But now we actually know because most of the people who are uh, in cycling, especially in the United States and, and in other places around the world, you know, are, they're master's athletes. They're athletes who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. We have time constraints and we have things that other demands on our time, job, family, all that stuff. And having a power meter, the beauty of it is, well, gosh, you know, if you can gather enough data, right, and go out and do a bunch of training and train with your power meter and use use all of these different principles that, that Dr. Coggin and I have developed, then you can figure out, well, is 12 hours a week optimal for me and I can keep my FTP at 330 watts and be very competitive at 12 hours a week or I can back it down to nine hours a week and stay at that same 330 watts and still be just as competitive as I am at 12 hours a week and now take those three hours and spend them with my family or do other things with those three hours that I need to do. Or on the opposite side, maybe I need to add three hours and if I went from 12 hours to 15 hours, my FTP would go from 330 to 360 and now I'm national champion. So those are the kind of things that really the chronic training load, the acute training load, that performance manager chart that we look at in WKO and, and TrainPeaks WKO software allows us to start to understand what is your optimal training load in order to give you the most amount of fitness for your training time. Yeah, I was kind of in this position, well, I was in the position where this information would have been really handy to me, say, two years ago at A-grade club level, when you're putting in 10, 12, 13 hours or whatever it is, having a number that I could have worked towards and then chopping off hours so I get down so I know I'm still competitive but I can train less would have been so much more helpful than just out of guilt or whatever, putting in the 10, 12 hours just because that's what you've always done and you're getting results from that. But looking at it a bit smarter and using the numbers to guide you really is a clever way to maximize your time, not just on the bike, like you said. You do have other things that you have to do in life. Part of that is kind of taking days off, though, and it fits into this thing where I don't believe that there's a one-size-fits-all approach to coaching athletes. This well-balanced training program that includes the athlete as a whole with the mind and the body and all the external factors. I see you taking, like more of a hell yeah or a hell no approach to workouts. So what I mean by that is rather than going for a recovery roll for an hour and you spend it with your family or do something else, then you put all your energy into knocking out quality intervals the next day. 
What's mm-hmm. your thinking behind this? Yeah, so that's interesting, right? And, you know, I, I have, uh, I don't know um, what the word is, mixed feelings on it. Because one, you have to remember that I love riding my bicycle. And we all do. I mean, we love riding our bicycles. And, you know, I, I would love to go out for a bike ride and, and just tool around the countryside and see see the things and stop at the stores and, and enjoy the fresh air. So that side, I think that we always have to remember that we love to ride the bicycle. And it shouldn't be every single day just about the work, you know, and oh, I'm going to go out and kill myself every day. But on the flip side of that, you know, so then when you do have a goal and you are very focused and you want to succeed and you want to be competitive or you want to finish this Grand Fondo in a certain time or you want to just finish the Grand Fondo or the Cyclosportif or whatever it is or I want to win this race or however, then you have to say, okay, well, in order for me to keep focused on that goal, then I have to go out here and do this work. You know, I have to go out and push myself and I have to go out and and make sure that I'm getting it in because I enjoy the end result and you know a little bit of that travel along the way as well as is part of that adventure so you know I think that's something that constantly balance and and so for me when I do work I'm like okay this week it's going to be super focused and I'm just going to freaking go for it and I punch it and I do all my workouts and if all of a sudden my uh, you know TSB is is way too negative then it's looking like oh there's you know this quality is not going to be there tomorrow it tells me that I can back off and I need to rest and give it a break and so I can come back the next day and do it again but then when I do say okay now I'm going to have an easy week or a uh, a free form week where I do something that that is less structured I think that too also satisfies like, oh, I just need to go ride my bike. And so I think that's where we always have to balance those things in our lives of having that full-on focus structure, here it is, yay or nay. But then also, well, we've got this looseness that allows us to uh, just go ride your bike sometimes and, and then come back to that structure again. So it kind of follows trying to maintain some type of mental freshness, it sounds like. I know I've had those weeks where it'll be dark, cold, rainy, and then at some point I'll be on some dead road going nowhere and just question what I'm even doing out there. It can be hell. Like you can just drive yourself so far into the ground that you lose perspective, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is, you know, and brings up a great story. I mean, to me, that is kind of along those lines. I coached an athlete, a, a woman endurance racer on the mountain bike, and one of the best in the world when I was coaching her and had won lots of these big endurance mountain bike races and highly analytical, incredible athlete, great person to coach. But, you know, after the first couple of months of coaching her and she, you know, had a power meter and, and was using it, and she, uh, she called me up one day and was just crying on the phone, just like, you know, woo, woo, just shivering and crying. And I was like, oh my God, something died or something happened. You know, I was like, oh, this is terrible. You know, what's going on? Finally, I got her calmed down. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, well, I was, I was supposed to do, you know, two by 20s and average 190 watts. And I, the second one, I only got 188 watts. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> 
you know, and she was just in hysterics, right? But that was her personality, right? She had gotten so into the numbers that, that she forgot to see the big picture. And she didn't understand that, okay, well, 188 watts, 190 watts, you know, you're getting the same benefit. It doesn't matter that much. But ultimately, what I had to do was I had to talk to her husband and say, look, we're going to put tape over her power meter. <laughs> and she's going, and I came up with a new vocabulary for her that she understood that got her in the same training zones that got the same benefits of that. And then when she came home, she, you know, her husband took her power meter off of her bicycle, downloaded it, emailed the file to me, and I could see exactly what had, had been done, and that could give her good feedback. So for some people, it becomes like it's just too much. And so you have to kind of always remember that, that um, you know, there is that balance. Like you know, training with a power meter is better than, than anything. But at the same time, don't become so obsessed with it that it's like it runs your life, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is kind of an area that I wanted to touch on as well because I do see the direction of all the technology and everything is moving towards that really hard data kind of. But losing that feel or the soft data, which I like to call it, mm-hmm. is something that will have to just continually be reminded. People will have to be reminded not to lose that because it does complement training with power. You know, the power training gives you the dose but then the response is not just the information that you shoot out. It's how you feel and, and what mental state you're in during the efforts or whatever it is. I do know that keeping a training diary is good for this. Do you, mm-hmm. do you recommend mm-hmm. your athletes keep a training diary? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the thing that I want them to do most and is, uh, okay, they have two things when they come back and they bring their power meter back, download their power meter every day, upload it to their Training Peaks account, but before they do that, they mark up the file. So I make sure that they're not hitting the interval button on the um, uh, on their power meter when they do intervals. I want them to mark it up and say, okay, here's on, off, here's your, where you did your work. That way, you know, I don't spend all of my day marking up intervals and trying to figure those things out. But then they put in their post-workout notes, like how they felt, what route they did, what they ate maybe, or anything that they think is important to me that's going to help me as their coach. So that written feedback tells me so much about how they're feeling and what they're thinking and how their body's reacting to it. And then, you know, the first thing that when I talk to them on the phone, you know, I, I don't ask them, you know, wow, man, it's like you did more Watts than before, or tell them that. I mean, you know, I can see that, and they know that, and we'll talk about those wattage numbers, but I'll ask them, well, how are the legs feeling? How good are you sleeping at night? Those are the things that the power meter can't tell me, and so I need to have that kind of subjective feedback still, and that's the beautiful thing about coaching, right? I call it the artful science, so there's still a lot of art to coaching, and then we also use a lot of the science as well. So uh, that's what makes a really good coach, in my opinion, is somebody who can take both those things, meld them together to really motivate and keep that client focused or that athlete focused to create the best success they can have. It's a really interesting mix as well. In some ways, you're trying to turn a body into a machine, but the mind is always the challenge. It's not going to respond exactly how you want it to respond every single time. So figuring out ways to combat that is one of the great challenges. It's one of the great challenges I see in training because producing consistent training is very hard. You know, I find it very hard personally. My mind wanders a lot during intervals. And so I've had to try and combat that by thinking of different strategies to come up with. But I am interested in what type of ways that you would get somebody to focus their mind during intervals. Mm -hmm. So 
One of the things that I really enjoy um, doing when I ride, and, and I highly encourage this with all my athletes, is actually two things. One, come up with a mantra, so to speak. When you're doing very difficult efforts and very tough efforts, come up with something in your mind that you repeat over and over and over. There's a very powerful, positive affirmation. My favorite is on the inhale and Damien and everybody listening to this, you're welcome to take this. It's not patented or trademarked or anything, but on the inhale, in my mind, I say power in. And on the exhale, I say feeling strong. Power in, feeling strong. Power in, feeling strong. All right, so that's a great one. It helps your breathing rhythm. Two, it helps you to focus on particular positive affirmation that continues to reaffirm your effort the entire time. So there are lots of them. I mean, I've had athletes come up with four or five different ones, one for each different type of interval that helps them to, uh, you know, maybe a small, a shorter one for really hard, short intervals, a longer one where they need their breathing rhythm longer. Um, so that's a great thing, too. Come up with your own mantra that will help. And the other thing is it's absolutely critical to learn good visualization skills. You have to be able to visualize the thing that you are trying to achieve. Okay, so and I'm not talking about some particular number at the end of the interval. I'm thinking more big picture of like, well, you know, I want to win the XYZ race. So when you're doing those intervals, and maybe that XYZ race is in two weeks, you know, when you're doing those intervals or whatever, whenever they are, maybe it's in six months, it doesn't really matter, you're thinking about the things that, that are going to happen in that race. So you're visualizing being in the breakaway and taking a pull. You're visualizing every time you do an interval, you're attacking off of the front and you're holding it, right? And you're, you know, and the, the, the peloton's chasing you or the breakaway's chasing you. Or you're visualizing at the end of the sprint, you know, you're throwing your arms in the air, right? I mean, I have a lot of my athletes, that's what they do at the end of their sprints, they throw their arms in the air. Why? Because I want them to start to visualize what that feels like when they go across the line and they throw their arms in the air. They're visualizing the crowd or the finish line or the announcer saying their name. Visualize your name at the top of the results sheet. You know, Damien Roos, first place. There it is. There's your name. You visualize um, you know, all of your teammates coming up to you and patting you on the back and saying, man, that was a great attack. You know, what an awesome race. Right? You visualize yourself calling your coach on the phone or Skyping your coach or, or emailing your coach and going, man, I won, I won. Right? And hearing your coach's voice, that is awesome. Being excited or your parents or whomever. Right? You visualize the things not only that happen, but the things that happen as a consequence of that goal being being achieved. And I think that's where a lot of people don't understand the power of visualization because you have to be focused on what you want to happen, but you also have to understand that the things that happen afterwards are just, if not even more powerful than seeing that goal being achieved. So, so take the visualization all the way from beginning of it all the way to the end and then past it. Even the days afterwards, getting emails from your friends like, man, that was such a great you know, win. And then seeing people post on Facebook with your picture of you throwing your arms in the air and liking it or whatever that is for you. Those are really, really important things. So two things you need to do when you do intervals or do hard efforts – Get a mantra 
and visualize. Yeah, I've used visualization in the past, but never gone that far. So it's always ended when the race has ended. But yeah, I've just never thought about it that deep before. That's interesting. And as well as the mantra stuff popped into my head, which was, uh, I was racing, I think it was a state championships time trial. This saying from the Shell Motor Company, go well, go Shell, this saying popped into my head, I remember, for the last 10 kilometers. And it seemed to help me. So I took that to the national champs and I think it helped me do really well there. But I've tried to evolve that idea into music where Mm. picking a motivational chorus or a part of a song because usually if you're not conscious a song will pop into your head anyway or something will pop into your head that you can't shake because your brain doesn't function properly at a high level you know but um choosing that chorus and then consciously going after it when you're in a certain situation can also be kind of motivating as well i think yes yep absolutely Absolutely. So key. There's so many little things that you can do to to help keep yourself focused and motivated. And we have so many of these different things that that are uh, at our disposal now. And and ultimately, you know, I mean, you also have to remember that motivation, you know, nobody can give you motivation. Nobody can wave their magic wand and instantly you become motivated, right? Motivation is always internal. It's always coming from you. But ultimately, motivation comes from your goals. And so you and and everybody out here listening, if you're not motivated or you're not feeling like, I want to go do this ride or you're just kind of feeling unmotivated, then you have to come back to your goals, right? You have to come back and look at those and say, what are my goals? And not only what are my goals – But why am I trying to achieve those goals? And if your why is not strong enough, then you're not going to be motivated to go and do that workout. So ultimately, it's the goals, but it's really the why that comes into play to keep you motivated. So, for example, I recently uh, had a client that very successful, very good client, master's rider, 34 years old, got a business owns you know that he owns, a family, all this stuff, very talented, wants to um, become a Category 1 here in the U.S., which is the, the lower rank below um, professional in the U.S., and so but his why was that he just he wanted to be a part of the group, a part of the crowd. He wanted to fit in. He wanted the sense of kind of togetherness with this other group of elite riders and that he wasn't a part of. But ultimately, that was a really not a strong enough Yeah, it's not going to get you out of bed on a cold morning. No, you know, and, and so he kept bailing at his workouts and was unsuccessful at getting to Category 1. And his why wasn't strong enough. And, and so... That's where you have to really examine your why. What's the what's the real reason you're doing this? And when you get to that, the core, the heart, the you know of that, then you will be able to get up when on the cold morning at six a.m. or get up before work or go out when it's raining and you know nobody else is going out and do fifteen hill repeats or whatever you need to do. That's the real yep, trick. Tapping into that hunger. <laughs> So as far as continuous learning goes, do you have any recommendations for books or anything to help understand training, body, mind that you can recommend where someone can start to feel of what they're doing and then they can move out and make decisions for themselves when it comes to their own cycling? Yeah, um, 
You know, education is very near and dear to my heart, and that's something that, uh, you know, I work very much in, in the U.S. here with uh, USA Cycling to educate our coaches. You know, I have a, a group of 47 coaches who uh, work at the Peaks Coaching Group now, and, and I spend most of my days educating and doing webinars and meeting with them, and online meetings, talking on the phone. I mean, that's really what my day is comprised of, many days. So it is very important because that's truly something that helps us to further and, and understand how to become successful. And, and that's really what, what I'm trying to do anyway, is, is uh, teach people to be successful in their goals, whether it's cycling and then they take that on to other places. So a couple of different things that I have been reading recently, there's a great book that is called The Winner's Bible. And that's an excellent book that I really like. They have some great practical things to do in there, some good worksheets that I really like. You know, it basically tells you how winners think, which is different than most people. Then another one that is excellent, I'm going to probably mess up the title here, Going From Good to Great. I can't remember if that's exactly the title, but I think if you search it online, that's another one that's very good because uh, you know, good enough is really not just good enough. You want greatness to really be the thing that you're achieving. So that's something that is a good focus to do. From the training perspective, there are lots of great cycling books out there on training to me that have influenced me over the years. Uh, Joe Friel's Training Bible books have been been helpful in getting started. Uh, then there's an old book that uh, probably isn't even in print anymore by uh, Rob Sleemaker that was one that was a long time ago, and I can't even remember the title of his book now. It's on my bookshelf back there, but it was very good in the fact that he was one of the first people that helped um, lay out the different percentages of time you should spend in your different training zones. Now, I don't necessarily agree with all the percentages as as right. However, he had a great concept there that uh, that I'm still using day to day, and, and that's a great background for uh, for us. You know, you just kind of have to look for them, find what they are. To me, it's a matter of looking at um, you know the science and again the art. You know, some of the art is uh, is is mental. Some of the art is nutritional because nutrition is such a critical part in excellence, especially in endurance sports. And then there's the physical side, which is all of the cycling things that are out there. And, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my own two books. <laughs> of course, uh, Training and Racing with a Power Meter. If you're thinking about a power meter, if you have one, that, that's a great resource that Dr. Coggan and I sent out to make a step-by-step -step method of how to use a power meter and how to analyze the data. And then uh, recently last year in April, um, Dr. Stephen Chung and I came out with a book called Cutting Edge Cycling. It's been a great book because it gives you a broad view of, of lots of different things, different training methodologies, bike fitting, over uh, training and what is over training and, and these types of things. So that's a, a great one as well. I've really enjoyed writing it and, and I've gotten lots of good comments. Yeah, I actually just finished reading that one and there was a lot of new information in that book, which was kind of exciting because I personally do enjoy the technical side and the science side of cycling. When you were doing research for that book, did you uncover any developments that you see, like any future trends in cycling training for the next five years? Um, you know, it, not necessarily. There's a few things that make a difference, you know, so that I see that are coming. One, 
we're going to see more and more of uh, this biometric data monitoring. So there are lots of things that are still on the fringes of cycling and endurance sports that we haven't really seen come to fruition yet, where power meters were 10, 12 years ago. There's one company called Zephyr. Uh, they make a bio harness and gets your uh, skin temperature, it gets your respiration rate, it gets your uh, acceleration rate, it gets your position in space. So those things are, um, you know, really, really uh, interesting. And we can start to meld those with power meter data. I think that'll be fun. There's a whole level of power meter data that we haven't gotten to yet. And then for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it power meter HD for high definition. Um, And so there's some new power meters that I believe will be coming out this year and definitely next year that will be recording in HD. And so because of that, we'll see some really interesting data from the left-right pedal side. And I think that's going to probably blow away some myths for some folks as well. And lastly, um, to me, uh, from the nutrition side, I think we're going to see a lot more information about that as well and how uh, nutritionally what you should be doing afterwards it seems like well you know we have lots of things we know and those are true but i think we're not quite to the level yet of of truly understanding what antioxidants are good and and should we be doing them how much should we be doing them those kind of things i think we'll see more of that too great sounds like we're kind of we're heading towards a more quantified world which uh is a little scary but also exciting at the same time thank you very much for coming on today hunter there's a lot of information there and a lot of value. Where can people find you if they're looking for you? Easiest way to find me is on my coaching uh, business website, peakscoachinggroup.com. Peaks is P-E-A-K-S, uh, looking for a peak of fitness, peakscoachinggroup.com. So, uh, and then info at Peaks Coaching Group is general email. And, and if you direct an email towards me, it'll get to me. And glad to field questions and, and do what I can. Uh, sometimes I get overwhelmed with emails, as I'm sure we all do. But I'm very, uh, very much trying to help out as many people as I can. Great. Thank you very much. And moving right along to the tech hacks and product section this week, I want to talk about the rear light that I use. It's called Fiber Flare. It looks a little bit like a long glow stick, but the two main advantages that I've found are the ability to bend it when you're fitting it into your bike and the size. It's long and skinny, which means it has more surface area and more light can be seen from all directions. It's a totally dope light and I highly recommend you check it out. I will link to it in the show notes. It has served me well for probably two years now and I can't fault it. And that quote from the top of the show, it is Peter Sagan at the 15th stage of last year's Tour de France. The person interviewing him actually recorded a video on his iPhone of Sagan signing some chick's boobs. It's a classic move. The dude, I don't know, he makes me laugh. He has a pretty funny laugh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you send me this video. <laughs> you want it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the best autographs ever signed. Yeah. Good job. (laughs) He's just one funny dude. And that's it. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 